We've been talking about fruitfulness and I want to um, continue on talking about fruitfulness tonight. And you know, God is looking for us to bear fruit in the kingdom, isn't he? Amen. God is looking for us to bear fruit in the kingdom and he, um, he has gifted and anointed every one of us that we should go and bear fruit. And part of the secret of fruitfulness is learning how to respond when difficulties and challenges come. And you know, many of you know that difficulties and challenges come to each and every one of us. But part of being fruitful is knowing how to respond when difficulties and challenges come in our lives. Amen. How to handle the negative as well as the positive. To be fruitful, we need to learn how to handle life and make the things that happen to us productive to the glory of God. Amen. We need to learn how to handle success as well as failure so that the enemy doesn't get a foothold in our lives. Because the enemy can get a foothold in through successes as well as failures. Amen. Sometimes even our successes need to die at the foot of the cross so that in a very real sense we remain dependent on God. Even our successes and failures, sometimes we just leave them at the foot of the cross. Look with me here in Philippians chapter 4 and look with me in verse 11. The Apostle Paul here, he says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he just goes through several things here. And he says, you know, when I'm up, when I'm down, when I'm in, when I'm out, when I'm rich, when I'm poor, um, when I have need and when I have plenty, he says, I know how to serve God. Because he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so basically what he's saying is, it's not dependent on his situation. It's not dependent on his circumstances. It's dependent on the Lord God. Amen. So I want to talk uh, for a few few minutes tonight about some areas we need to learn to grow in. And the first one I want to talk about is um, discouragement. Discouragement. You know, discouragement comes to every one of us. Anybody here never been discouraged? Just got discouraged those <laughs> well, learn your memory first. <laughs> learn your memory first. No such thing as a free ride, is there? Anyway. Discouragement. Discouragement affects us all to varying degrees. And the greatest times of discouragement are often times that follow um, great spiritual victories or successes. And that's one of the things that we need to understand. You know, whenever you have a great spiritual success, um, usually on the back of it, there's times of great discouragement. And you know, one of the most famous uh, preachers that ever lived was a guy called Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And somebody said to him one day, he says, do you ever get discouraged? He said, yeah, every Monday. Because he has great spiritual success on a Sunday, and on a Monday, he, he is down and discouraged. And that happens quite a lot. Now, I, praise God, I never get really discouraged on a, on a Monday. But one of the things that I do sometimes is I get discouraged after great spiritual success. You have great times of, you know, uh, ministry. And last, a couple of weeks ago, we were in Larne and had some tremendous times in Larne. But at the back of that, you get discouraged. You know, do you understand? And so, um, it usually comes after, the, after some great spiritual success. And because what happens is all our inward resources are depleted. We're run down. You know, you're given out all the time. And when you're given out and you have great spiritual success, one of the things that happens is you go into this area of discouragement. But you know, one of the things that you have to do when you get discouraged is you have to go back to the Word of God and encourage yourself in the Lord and in the Word of God. Amen. So I want to talk about a few of these tonight. If you look with me in 1 Kings chapter 19, 
First Kings chapter 19. And just for the sake of time, I'll talk you through um, First Kings chapter 18. And in First Kings chapter 18, um, Elijah had a confrontation with um, the prophets. Do you remember that story up on Mount Carmel? And the scripture says that there was 450 prophets of Baal, there was 400 prophets of Ashtaroth, which was 850 prophets altogether. And they, um, Elijah was on one side and he said to them, if your God be God, then let him come down in the fire and let him consume the sacrifice. And, um, and so they, they jumped and they sang and they danced and they cut themselves for hour after hour after hour. And Elijah began to taunt them. He said, maybe he's on the toilet. Maybe he's busy. <laughs> And uh, eventually, after all those hours of them dancing and cutting themselves and him taunting them, their God never showed up. And then Elijah went before them and he, he, he got them to take these buckets of water and throw these buckets of water over the sacrifice until everything was wet. And then he called on the name of the Lord his God at the time of the, ev- time of the evening oblation. And as he called on the name of the Lord his God, it says that this fire came down from heaven and consumed not only the sacrifice, but the water that was in the trench round about it and consumed it all. And so how many of you know he had a great spiritual success? And then um, what happened was he told the children of Israel to take these prophets of Baal and execute them. So they executed them all. And it was a great day, in a sense, in Israel because they got rid of all the false prophets. And the nation of Israel began to shout, the Lord, he is God. So it was a great um, spiritual success. But look what happened then in chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And you notice <laughs> some amazing things here uh, because um, Ahab was the king. And, you know, as the king, he was the one who appointed these prophets. And these were his prophets, per se, all these prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth. And um, as soon as um, Elijah defeated them, he thought, I'm going home to tell my wife. (laughs) Many of you understand that? So he went home and told his wife. Look what his wife did. Elijah wasn't playing ball with them. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do unto me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of those by, of them by tomorrow about this time. And so Jezebel, she worshipped these gods. And Ahab went home and told Je- Jezebel, Elijah's after killing all the prophets. And so she sends word to Elijah, and she says, God be with, uh, God do more so to me if you're not like one of them by tomorrow. Now you think after him confronting these 850 prophets, calling down fire from heaven and destroying them all, that he wouldn't be afraid of Jezebel. But what he did was he turned and ran. He was afraid. Watch what happened. Verse 3. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth unto Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and requested, requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay down and slept under the juniper tree, behold, an angel came and touched him, and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came unto him a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink 
and went in the strength of that meat for 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And basically, when he came to the mount of God, he went into the cave after 40 days, and he began to seek God, and God appeared to him um, just in that still small voice and that whisper. But the point being here was, here was Elijah, one of the greatest victories um, that Israel ever had, called down fire from heaven. I mean, this was tangible. The Bible says that the fire came down from heaven. It licked up the sacrifice. It licked up the water. The Bible says it even burnt the rocks that the sacrifice was sitting on. I don't even know that was some fire that came down from heaven. And then Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. And he <laughs> took off running. And so he hides under this juniper tree, hiding from Jezebel. And he called out to God. He says, God, you need to kill me. You know, I think if Elijah really wanted to die, he just could have stayed there and <laughs> Jezebel would have arranged it for him. Wouldn't he? But anyway, he ran and hid. But do you know why he ran and hid? Because on the back of that great spiritual battle, he just got discouraged. And what did he need to do? He went and he heard from God and God strengthened him. And God strengthened him enough that he went and he went to the cave. And then when he was in the cave that uh, God spoke to him in a still small voice. And so whenever we get discouraged, one of the things that we need to do is we need to go and find the word of God. Get back to the word of God and listen for the voice of God again. Amen. And do whatever God says, basically. So this is the story of Elijah. Look with me, actually, in the book of Jonah. In the book of Jonah, um, I'm going to read from chapter 4. And what happened here with Jonah, if you remember the story of Jonah, actually. Jonah was sent down to Nineveh. And God said to him to go down to Nineveh and uh, prophesy to them that you've got 40 days to repent. And if you don't repent, that I'm going to destroy the whole place. We know the story with Jonah. I didn't want to go and tell them. And so he found a boat at Tarshish. He was heading for Tarshish. And as he was heading down there, um, the, everything started to go wrong. The storm came up and all the rest of it because he was running from God. And eventually they threw him overboard. He was swallowed by a fish. He was in the fish for three days and eventually he repented and he said, okay, God, I'll go. And so the fish came and spat him up on the, the bank near uh, where he was supposed to be in Nineveh. And he went and he prophesied to them. But you know what happened when he went and prophesied to them? He went in and he says, 40 days and God says, I'm going to destroy the city of Nineveh. And as soon as he said it, it says all the people repented in sackcloth and ashes. They didn't have to go more than one day. On the first day when he began to tell them, they all repented. And as soon as they repented, there was 120,000 people got saved instantly. And you know what Jonah did? Jonah did exactly the same as Elijah did. He went and sat under a gourd and he said to God, you need to kill me. Seen this great spiritual victory, everyone in the whole city of Nineveh came to faith in one day. After him preaching the gospel... But instead what happened with him was he went into discouragement. And after that discouragement, he cried out to God. He said, God, you need to kill me. Discouragement. You know what God began to do with him? He began to speak to him. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God, a merciful God, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of this evil and so he became discouraged, but he went and heard from God. And after he heard from God, um, he strengthened himself again and he went on. Amen. Let me show you another one, actually. Look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 30. 
First Samuel chapter 30. This is the story of David. And David, um, because he was running from Saul, one of the things that David did was he went down and he lived in a place called Ziklag. And when he was down in Ziklag, he joined himself to the Philistines and he actually became um, one of the commanders in the Philistine army. And David took his mighty men and he went down with the Philistines down to engage Israel, down to engage Saul, which really were his own people. But when he got down there, um, the Philistines didn't want him. They said, we don't want this guy David fighting with us because if David fights with us, we don't know that he will turn and fight with the Israelites on our behalf. Um, or against us rather, so they sent David home. And so David had gone down three days' journey, and now he was on his three-day journey back to Ziklag. And look at what happened here in chapter uh, 30 and verse 1. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south, and Ziklag had smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives that were therein, and slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away, and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept, until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelites, Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved or discouraged, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now David had led them in many battles before and had won great battles. David himself was a giant killer. And David had went out and he had killed um, Goliath, as we know. And then after that, when David was hiding for Saul, he went down and he hid in the cave. And all these people came and joined themselves to David in the cave. And when they joined themselves to David, these men became known as David's mighty men. And David killed the giant. But how many of you know that Goliath had four brothers? How many of you know that? Four other giants. And some of David's men went out and slew these other four giants. Because they served David, they became giant slayers and they went out so they were winning all these battles and winning all these victories but here they lost this this battle and you know the interesting thing that the scripture says it says none of them were killed they were all taken alive so none of them were dead they were all taken alive now David was a man of war and the people who were with him these were known as David's mighty men but you know the first thing that they did was they became discouraged and because they became discouraged they talked of stone and David It's always the leader that gets it in the neck, isn't it? It's all his fault. But you know what this says here about David? It says David encouraged himself in the Lord. And that's the key. David encouraged himself in the Lord. You know when you can't get encouragement from anybody else, you know where you get it from? From the Lord. From the Lord. Amen. Look at what happened. um, Verse... uh, Look at verse 7. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him and says, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. And you know, when David went and inquired before the Lord, David encouraged himself in the Lord. He went and asked God for a word, and God gave him three words basically he says pursue overtake recover all 
And you know, when David went, he pursued them, he overtook them, and he recovered, not alone did he recover everything that he lost, but he recovered everything that the Amalekites had taken from every uh, city that they had attacked all the way down along the lane. So not alone did David come back and hadn't lost anything, but he actually came back with great gain as well. Amen. You know why? Because in the time of discouragement, he went and encouraged himself in the Lord. And when he encouraged himself in the Lord, God gave him again the victory. Amen. Discouragement um, introduces a false sense of value sometimes, and we fail to see things as God sees them. And sometimes we're not even realistic in human terms. But how many of you know sometimes, you know, and um, it actually happened with Elijah. Maybe I should have read that back when we talked about Elijah. But when Elijah went down and he was in the cave, um, he said to God, I'm the only one that's left. I'm the only one that's left that hasn't bowed their knee to Baal. And God said, no, I've got 7,000 other prophets who haven't bowed their knee to Baal either. And so sometimes things are unrealistic, aren't they? Everyone's against me. Everybody hates me. Nobody loves me anymore. And when we get discouraged, that's the way we get. And it's unrealistic. And that's the reason why we've got to go back to the Word of God. We've got to strengthen ourselves and encourage ourselves in the Lord. Amen. Discouragement sometimes causes us to run away from our responsibilities. It can introduce self-pity. And self-pity is actually one of the most destructive forces of human nature. Self-pity is one of the most destructive forces of nature because what it does is it gets us to hate self. And you see, when you begin to hate yourself, you're, um, you're in a bad place. And that's the reason why we've got to go back to the Word of God. We've got to go back and find out what God says and begin to speak to ourselves after the manner of um, the Word of God. Self-pity paralyzes us to our responsibilities for others, makes us spiritually and even physically weak sometimes. Discouragement causes us to blow everything out of proportion or out of perspective. And when we're discouraged, we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. We need to get our eyes on God and begin to th- see things the way he sees them. And go back to the word of God again and begin to confess the things about, that God says over us. And sometimes if we think of discouragement as being choked, we're being choked by something and we're fighting for life. But when we're being choked by something and fighting for life, you know, if you're being choked in the natural, the one thing that you don't do when you're being choked is sit in front of the TV and eat comfort food. But when we're being choked in the spirit, we don't want to sit in front of the TV and eat comfort food either. What we need to do is get back to the Word of God and find out what the Word of God says about us. Now, let me just say this to you. I suppose the most interesting or the most easy thing to do is to sit in front of the TV and watch whatever it is and eat comfort food, isn't it? But the Bible says we need to go back to the Word of God. We need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Amen. So go get encouragement. Don't let discouragement choke you. Read the promises of God. Um, you know, I was thinking about uh, just a little bit earlier, even Jesus. Jesus went down into the Jordan River. He was baptized. And he went into the wilderness. And when he went into the wilderness after his baptism and God had just launched him into ministry, you know the first thing the devil did? came along and tried to discourage him. But you know, whenever the de- devil tried to discourage Jesus, you know what Jesus did? Kept taking him back to the Word. Kept taking him back to the Word all the time. Amen. Look with me in Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. Is my mic in and out there? Matthew chapter 17. Let me show you this um, story here. Chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. 
It says, after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, or three tents. One for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when his disciples heard it, they fell on their face, and they were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them, and said, Arise, and be not afraid. Uh, Verse 8, And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And you know, um, Jesus, and he goes up the mountain and he brings Peter, James, and John with him. And the scripture says he was transfigured before them. And that word transfigured means that he, 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 they saw him in his glory. It's a bit of heaven came down on earth and they saw the full glory of Jesus. And the scripture says that Moses and Elijah um, came and stood by him and, and spoke with him. And many of you would love to be there for that. That would have been awesome, wouldn't it? Just to see the real glory of Jesus. And you know, the boys fell into the trap here and Peter went to Jesus and said, Lord, it's, it's good for us to be here. And he said, let's make three tents. <laughs> In other words, we're going to set up camp here on the mountain. This is where we want to be. Amen. And the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because this was unrealistic. Many of you know that Jesus wasn't going to stay on the mountain um, with Moses and Elijah and just keep the three boys there with them for the rest of their lives. Many of you know that was unrealistic. And you see, this is what happens. is After every mountaintop experience, because here they were up on the mountain, and after a mountaintop experience, they needed to go back down into the valley. And what happens in the modern church, and this is because we all have cars, what happens in the modern church is we spend our time running from place to place looking for mountaintop experiences. And what you're doing is you're running over to this city because they're having the mountaintop experience tonight. And there's another mountaintop experience on Thursday night over there. And there's one over there on Friday night. And on Saturday night there's one over there. And people are running from place to place looking for mountaintop experiences. And God didn't um, desire for us to live in mountaintop experiences. Yes, he desired us to have them whenever we were going. But after every mountaintop experience, we've got to go back down into the valley. Because that's realistic. That's where life is. Do you understand? And Jesus didn't want to stay up on the mountain with, uh, with Moses and Elijah and the three boys. Because if they stayed up on the mountain, who were they going to affect? Nobody. The only ones were there were the six of them. The boys would have been happy, but, you know. And you see, we need to understand something. Our mountaintop experience is good. Yes, they are. Absolutely. Love them. Had one a few weeks ago with uh, Dave Campbell. Powerful weekend but how many of you know you've got to come down you've got to go back to reality you've got to go back to life and back to doing life do we get discouraged when we're going down yes we do but we've got to go back to the word of God because the boys wanted to stay up there with Moses and Elijah and uh, Jesus and uh, they said Lord let's make three tabernacles here and then this voice came from heaven and said this is my beloved son he says hear him hear him hear his word So we've got to go back to just listening to the Word of God, allowing the Word of God to speak to us and to encourage us. Amen. 
so whenever we get discouraged, we need to go back to the Word of God. We need to go back to the promises of God. We need to find out what the, what the Word of God says to us. Amen. Over in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, and uh, God said to the Apostle Paul, He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. More gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And you see, sometimes we go through weaknesses, don't we? But the Bible says that the grace of God is sufficient for us in our weaknesses. We actually sang that song a little bit earlier, Let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich, because of what the Lord has done for me. And you know, we need to go back to the Word of God, because the Word of God is our sufficiency. The grace of God is our sufficiency. And no matter what it is that we're going through, we've got to say about ourselves what God says. And if you're poor, say I'm rich. If you're weak, say I'm strong. If you're sick, say I'm the healed. And encourage yourself in the Lord. Amen. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. Listen to what God said to Joshua. Have I not commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage? Do not be afraid, neither be dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee wherever, whithersoever thou goest. And this is an, an unusual here because he actually says, Have I not commanded you to be strong? Have I not commanded you to be strong? Do you think there was times when Joshua didn't feel strong? I'm sure there was loads of them. But God says, it doesn't matter about how you feel. He says, I have commanded you to be strong. And you know the interesting thing about that, and, and this, is, this is a hard truth to say, but you know when we get discouraged, or let, let me say it this way, when we stay discouraged, it's by choice. When we stay discouraged, it's by choice. We have a choice. We've got to go back and encourage ourselves in the Word of God. And that's a hard thing to say because it affects all of us. And there's days I get down and days I get discouraged, but the longer we stay in it, it's a choice. And we've got to get back to the Word of God and strengthen ourselves and encourage ourselves in the Word. Amen. To overcome discouragement. Because if we don't, we'll just stay down. So staying discouraged is a choice. If you feel discouraged, it's because you've allowed yourself to feel that way. We need to go back and encourage ourselves in the Lord. And we need to, to get His Word again. Amen. First one, discouragement. Second one, comparisons. And we talked about this one other day as well. But... You know, we compare ourselves sometimes among ourselves, don't we? And you know, we don't serve the Lord in a vacuum. We're part of the body of Christ. And at times we're working very closely with other people who are serving the Lord with their own gifts, with their own talents, and in their own way. And you know, we should rejoice actually that God has in his wisdom chosen a whole range of people, gifted each of us in different ways, and different ministries to serve the kingdom. And God has chosen all of us and we're diverse. No two people alike, no two people the same, but he's chosen us to serve the kingdom. And so sometimes um, it causes pain because of feelings of inferiority or lack in our own ability. Sometimes we look at ourselves and our own ability. Sometimes we feel inferior to others and that causes us pain. But instead of being happy for everybody else's fruitfulness, we feel threatened. And instead of speaking positively about others, sometimes we speak negatively about them. But one of the things that we need to learn to do is to rejoice with those who are doing well in the ministry. See, when people are doing well in the ministry, we don't need to knock them. Because what they're actually doing is they're serving the Lord in the gifts and the talents that God has called them to. And you've got to be very careful. And no two people are alike. There's no two people alike. And you're not going to get, you know, two teachers alike. You're not going to get somebody else who will stand here beside me and teach exactly the same way I do. And I'm not going to teach the way they do. We're all different. But you know, when God raises up somebody 
and he gifts them in a certain area, you know, whether that be, well, I'm not even going to mention ministries because, you know, I don't want to single anybody out per se, but whatever ministry God has called us to, when we see people begin to grow and begin to flourish in their ministry, we need to rejoice with them. Amen. We need to rejoice with them. We need to be glad and say, wow, you know, God's doing a great job in your life. God's doing a great work in your life. You've yielded yourself to the grace of God. You've yielded yourself to the call of God in your life and you're doing great. And you know, as we learn to do that, people will come and start to encourage us in the things that we do as well. Amen. We all need encouragement. But the one thing that we don't need to do is we don't need to be pulling each other down. We don't need to be down on other people as if your gift is not good enough or your gift is not this or that we need to encourage each other and the scripture talks about over here in second um, corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 he says we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves but they measuring themselves by themselves comparing themselves among themselves are not wise and he says it's not wisdom when you compare yourself to others. Because we're all gifted completely differently. We're all gifted differently. And so we shouldn't be comparing um, ourselves among ourselves. He says it's not wise. One of the most common things that robs us from being effective in church and ministry is comparing ourselves with others. And then the lack of peace and security we feel about ourselves causes us to be fearful or insecure. And you see, we look at other people and we see how well they're doing. But if we judge them, what happens is, is it, it robs our peace, it robs our joy. And then we feel like that we're not doing good. But we need to just commend them. Rejoice with them. Amen. In Proverbs chapter 7 and verse 17, it says, Iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron. And you know, one of the things that we need to do is, is when we rub off of each other, we need to commend each other. We need to say, boy, you're really doing good. Boy, God is doing a real good work in your life. And, you know, God is really blessing you and so on and so on. But what happens is iron begins to sharpen iron. And we begin to sharpen each other. But it's what you'll find is when we start to pull each other down that our edge becomes dull, it becomes blunt. When we start to try and pull each other down, when we start to speak negatively about each other, what we need to do is sharpen each other. Amen. To enable this to occur as it should, we need to do three things. First thing that we need to do is recognize our own calling before the Lord and begin to walk in that. Recognize our own calling. Recognize our own calling. What is it that God has called me to do? And when you find what God has called you to do, then just walk in the security of that. And don't be judging yourself with somebody else because they're on a completely different path. You need to look at your life, look at the gifts and the callings that God has put in you and begin to walk in your gift and your calling. Amen. That's the first thing. Recognize your own calling before the Lord. Live within that. It's a dangerous thing, actually, to try and live in the calling of somebody else. It's a dangerous thing to try and live in the calling of somebody else. Do you know why that is? It's because if God has gifted them and anointed them to do it, God will make sure that they succeed. But if he hasn't gifted you and anointed you to do that particular thing, you will never succeed at it. So don't try and be somebody else. Just be yourself. And let me just say it this way. Be the best version of you that you can possibly be. Amen. Be the best version of you that you can possibly be. And that's all that God wants. You know, we even look at that, and I'm not going to talk about who has what talents, but remember um, we talked about the five talents, uh, the three talents, and the one talent. And the, or two talents. And the one thing about that is 
even the one with five, when he got five more, God said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The one who had two got two more. He said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He didn't say, you know, um, anything about how much they had made. He just, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with much or with little. I'm going to give you much. And he didn't discriminate among them, even though they had lesser gifts per se. Do you understand? So whatever gift that God has, has given you, operate within it and be the best version of you that you can possibly be. And the reality of it is stop trying to be somebody else and stop trying to be like somebody else. And you know, sometimes when you're a young Christian, you're always trying to be somebody else. Always trying to be somebody else. Boy, I'd love to be like him. I'm going to try and sing like him. I'm going to try and preach like him. I'm going to try and whatever. But you know, God doesn't want you to be another clone of me. He wants you to be you. Bring your own gifts. Bring your own talents. You bring your own personality and allow that to shine through. Amen. You wouldn't want my personality anyway. Relax in God's power and always try to be aware that unless God does it in you and through you, no one else will. So you need to relax in God's power. God has gifted you. God has called you. We need to relax in his power and his timing. And just say, you know what, God, this is your gift. This is your calling. And I'm submitted to you and allow you to work in me and through me. Amen. And then rejoice in the fruitfulness of others by focusing on what is positive. Rejoice in the fruitfulness of others. When you see people being fruitful, just commend them. Say, boy, God is doing a great work in your life. And as you begin to commend them, as you begin to speak life into them, you know what will happen is people will start to speak life back into you as well. Amen. Third one is disappointment. Disappointment often comes from failed ambitions and the hopes maybe of our own hearts. A sense of failure can prove disastrous to us being effective or uh, fruitful. And disappointment. And disappointment can come to us for all different kinds of things. Sometimes maybe we're believing for something or whatever, and it doesn't happen just the way we want, and we get disappointed, don't we? We get disappointment. Disappointment robs us, and we need to learn how to deal with disappointment also. Um, disappointment sometimes can be a proven ground for faith we need to stand back from the intensity of the disappointment in our spirit and allow just the 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 heat or the the passion to go out of the disappointment so that it become a refining fire for our faith and um it does our souls good to always not always get what we want when we want it look with me in second corinthians chapter four actually second corinthians chapter four 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Disappointment. Look what he says here in verse 16. It says, For which cause we faint not, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And he talks here about our light affliction, which is but for a moment. And sometimes we go through stuff. Sometimes we go through stuff and we get disappointment. But he says, you know, when we learn to cope with it, it's working within us a far more exceeding weight of glory. And then the scripture says, we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And you see, what happens with this so often is we're looking at things in the natural and we're wondering why this didn't work out and why that didn't work out. But what you'll find and see somewhere down along the line that God maybe is preserving us or protecting us from something worse. 
you understand? And we believe God for something sometimes, and God's looking at us going, I really didn't want to give you that. And you're disappointed because God didn't give you that. But God is saying you're looking at the temporal, what you've got to see is the eternal. And you know, probably one of the best um, examples I can give you of it, maybe in the natural, is, you know, sometimes when you have a child, young, maybe a four or five-year-old kid, and they want to play with the carving knife. And, and they're disappointed. Oh, it's... I always wanted to play with that. But how many of you know you're protecting them from something worse down along the line, aren't you? And you see, God is protecting us sometimes from something. And we're asking God and we're believing God for something. And God is going, you really don't want that. No, God, I do. No, you don't. You actually don't. Hallelujah. Disappointment. Learning to deal with disappointment. Next one is uh, disagreement. Disagreement. How many of you know that sometimes there's disagreements in the body? Not too many, but the odd time. <laughs> and see, we need to understand something about disagreement. Somebody once said, conformity in behavior in an organization is essential. Conformity in behavior in an organization is essential. But conformity in ideas in an organization is tragic. See, conformity in behavior is essential. We all need to be conformed in our behavior. We all need to behave the same towards each other. But he says conformity in ideas is tragic. In other words, we need to be unique. God has given us different gifts. He's given, given us different talents. And we see things differently. And you see that actually more and more um, when you look at the fivefold ministry gifts. And when you look at the fivefold ministry gifts, um, some of them tend to be real black and white. Teachers generally are just black and white. Is that black or it's white? But you get uh, pastors, and pastors are, well, you know, maybe there's a bit of grey in there somewhere. The teacher's going, nope, fair black or white, that's it. <laughs> and for example, you know, um, if you take somebody who's like a prophet, and a prophet who brings the word of God, and prophets are very direct, and somebody comes against them and they're speaking judgment over them, you know, and they're pronouncing judgment. And, you know, you meet somebody out there and, um, you know, they're going through a hard time and something's happened. And you get, get a prophet and the prophet's going, yeah, but you know what the reason why that is? Because they did this, this, this and this. And, the, and God is bringing that judgment on them. They're speaking judgment. And then you get a pastor and the pastor wants to get down on his knees and stroke the back of their hand. And they're there. It's going to be all right. And they're just completely different. Do you understand? And so conformity in behavior is essential but, con- but conformity in ideas is tragic. And we're all different and we're all called to be different and we're all called to minister differently. Amen. We're called to minister differently. And so, uh, disagreement. Scripture says over in Amos chapter 3 and verse 3, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can two walk together except they be agreed? And what happens sometimes is, is because of disagreement, people leave. They don't want to walk with us anymore because there's a disagreement. But you know what? We need to learn that we're all different and we need to learn how to walk together even though we disagree. Even though we have different ideas and different opinions about things, God says it's all right to have different ideas, it's all right to have different opinions about stuff, but we all need to learn how to agree. We need to learn how to flow together as a body. Amen. In a church, there needs to be a basic agreement of spiritual leadership and a loyalty to where God has called us to serve. However, loyalty does not necessarily mean that you agree with every minute detail, but it's a decision to mature and to grow up in the things of God and understand that we have differences. But it's these differences that make us unique, but we still agree. You understand? We need to understand 
that God has called us under uh, spiritual leadership and we have to be loyal to where God has called us. That doesn't mean we have to agree with everything. We just have to be loyal. And that's a, a heart decision. I don't agree with everything, but I'm going to be loyal. Do you know why? Because God said so. Because this is what God told me to do. Amen. And understand that it's our differences that make us unique. The next one is hurts and personal problems. And you know, hurts can lead to a terrible crushing of our spirit, can't it? Um, Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 14. It says, A man's spirit sustains him in sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? A man's spirit sustains him in sickness. In other words, when you have a good, strong spirit, even though you're going through hard times, your spirit will sustain you. But it says when your spirit becomes crushed, that's where the problem starts. When your spirit becomes crushed. And when your spirit becomes crushed, it says, uh, crushed spirit, who can bear? It's in times like these that the Lord wants us to throw everything onto him. There's no other answer to this deepest needs of our spirits. The Father knows our spirit. He, he's the one who created it. He knows how to handle it. He knows how to heal it. He knows how to bring it back to life again. He knows how to pour his balm or the balm of Gilead into our hearts without allowing us to indulge in self-pity. And his hand is loving but strong. And you see, when we're going through times like this, when we're going through times with hurts and personal problems, what we need to do is what the scripture says in First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. It says, casting all our cares upon him or casting all our anxieties upon him because he cares for us. And you know, let me just say this about God. God is never tired, he's never fed up of listening to us, pouring out our heart to him. Jesus said, come on to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what he wants us to do is to take our hearts and to take all these things, and he wants us to give them to him or to share them with him. Amen. And he will sustain us. So disciples of Jesus should be fruitful in our lives for God. We must not let Satan get a foothold in our life through hurts, through discouragements, through disappointments, through disagreements, um, and, and comparing ourselves among ourselves. And as disciples of Jesus, we are all branches in the vine. Look with me finally in John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Jesus wants us to learn some of these things and he wants us to learn um, how to deal with them, how to strengthen ourselves and encourage ourselves in the Lord. When we go through situations and circumstances, he wants us to give them over to him. Amen. Allow him to, to take them from us and allow him to heal us. In, first, uh, sorry, in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it bring, may bring forth much fruit or more fruit. And uh, what he's talking about here, he says, every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes it away. But the branches that do bear fruit, he says that he prunes them. And sometimes God prunes us, and pruning is not easy, is it? It's not easy. But you know, whenever God is pruning us, he's pruning us for greater levels of, of fruitfulness or faithfulness. Verse 3, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except you abide in me. And the scripture here says that you can't bear fruit on your own. 
Scripture says you have to abide in the vine. And you know, one of the problems that we have is um, a lot of times when we're going through stuff, God is our last resort rather than our first resort. And we try and do everything in the natural. We try and do everything in the flesh. We try and do everything ourselves when in actual fact we're supposed to be running to God. Amen. And um, I was messing with a, a pastor friend of mine last week. Uh, Pastor Brain said, you know Brain Sinnott was here in the summer, Pastor Brain, and we were, I was talking to him on the phone the other day and we were just messing and we were talking about uh, different things that were going on and Brain says, you know, there's only two answers, he said, there's tablets and prayer. I said, I'll try the tablets first and if that doesn't work, I'll try the prayer. <laughs> but sometimes that's our, our, our mentality is, I'll try and fix it and if, it doesn't, if I can't fix it, I'm going to pray. But in actual fact, what we should be saying is, we need to pray. We need to pray, we need to give it to God first. And so he says, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except you abide in me. And if we want to deal with some of these things, we've got to go back to abiding in the vine. Jesus said in verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And again, here he's just saying you can't do anything without him. But he says, if you continually abide in me, he says, you'll bear much fruit. You bear much fruit and people will begin to see the fruit and begin to see the fruitfulness in your life. And you know, it's very easy sometimes when you look around and you see the people who are being fruitful and you see the people that God is pruning and you see that whole process going on in somebody's life. Amen. Fruitfulness. Verse 6, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me, And my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. The word for words here is actually the word rema. And the word rema um, means um, a revelation of something. There's two different words for word in Greek. There's the word logos and the word rema. And the word logos is the written word. And this whole Bible, this whole Bible here is the logos. This is the Logos Word of God, right? This is the Logos. But how many of you, um, and hopefully you all have, how many of you have ever heard somebody preaching, and whenever you hear them preaching or teaching, you get a revelation of something. You go, oh, that's a rhema. That's actually God taking a portion of his word and making it real and making it alive to you for a situation or circumstance that you're going through in your life. That's a rhema word. And you know, sometimes, and you'll actually find this sometimes, you know, um, somebody is preaching and you get that rhema and you nudge the person beside you and you go, isn't that amazing? And they go, what? What did he say? And what happens is you got a rhema and they didn't. Do you understand? A rhema. But here's the thing. Whenever God gives you a rhema, a rhema is given to address a particular need, a particular situation. That's what a rhema is given for. Now, what he actually says here, he says, if you abide in me and my rhema abides in you, You can ask what you will and it will be done. And the point that I'm making here is people think that you can ask what you will and it will be done, but it's only the rhemas that will be done. It's only the ones that you've got a revelation of. In other words, if God gives you a revelation of healing and the revelation of healing is by the stripes of Jesus I'm healed and that goes off and you go, wow, I just got a revelation of that. God said, now ask me anything in relation to that and I'll do it. Do you understand? Because you've got a rhema word. 
And so we need to get rhemas in every arena. We need to get a rhema for our finances. We need to get a rhema for our healing. We need to get a rhema for our spiritual growth. We need to get rhemas in these different arenas. And when we get a rhema, God says, you ask me anything in relation to that and I will do it. Do you know why? Because he's the one who gave us the rhema. In other words, that was a promise that he gave directly to you. And anything you ask him in relation to that promise, he's going to do it. Amen. So if you abide in me and my rhema abides in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my father glorified, or in this is my father glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so shall you be my disciples. This is how my father is glorified, he says, is when you bear fruit. And it's when you bear fruit, Jesus said, that's how you know you're my disciples. And the word disciple just means a disciplined follower. And that's how you know who the disciplined followers are when they start to bear fruit. And you know what? God wants every single one of us to bear fruit. How do we bear fruit? He says it here, abide in the vine. Go back to Jesus. Live our life constantly in him. Draw the life source and draw the nourishment from him. Whatever it is that's going on in our lives, we need to go back to our creator, go back to our master, go back to the one who gives us that life. And say, God, I can't deal with this or I'm not able to deal with that. And allow the life of God to change us. Get a rhema word from God. Encourage ourselves in the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet.